Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, February 17th. Earlier this week, the city announced an affordable housing initiative and the conversation surrounding the balancing act between business property taxes and residential taxes has resurfaced. We tackle these topics and more in our weekly chat with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Another week and another shooting in the United States. We head stateside for a reaction to this, the 72nd mass shooting of the year from Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. And finally, multiple interest rate hikes seem to have cooled the Canadian real estate market, but has it had the same effect here in Calgary? Realtor Justin Haver joins us to provide a snapshot of the current market and a look ahead as to what buyers and sellers can expect as we move into spring. Last week, the U of C School of Public Policy reported that low-income housing in Calgary has decreased at an alarming rate over the past 30 years. And this week, the City of Calgary announcing that they're taking steps to address the issue. Joining us to talk about that and all things affecting Calgarians is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Madam Mayor. How are you? I'm very good. Good morning to both of you. Thank you so much. Okay, let's talk about uh, this $14 million announcement towards affordable housing projects. Uh, Break it down for us, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, $6 million is going towards Indigenous housing projects, and this was after consultation with um, urban Indigenous people, nations, elders, as well as other uh, Indigenous community-serving groups. So, that is excellent news in terms of our path towards truth and reconciliation and really taking action uh, according to what is in our White Goose Flying Report. There is another investment of $7.5 million. This accompanies three parcels of land that will be up for non-market land sale at the end of this month. We have an additional 7.5, which means uh, housing providers can apply for up to $75,000 per unit to get started on those builds and expedite uh, the construction of affordable housing units. And the final amount is $600,000. It's uh, comprised of $200,000 shared equally between the city, the United Way, and the Calgary Homeless Foundation. That pool of money is available to people who could get into housing if they had first or last month's rent or damage deposit. It's a financial tool to help people get into market or non-market housing. The total investment is 14.1. 400,000 comes from our two community partners. All right, Madam Mayor, uh, something that we've been talking about, and I know a lot of Calgarians residentially opened the mailbox and got their property tax bill, and the conversation always comes back to the burden between commercial and residential properties. And earlier this week, Calgary Chamber expressing their disappointment that the city, city council, decided not to recalculate the balance of these things. Can you break it down for us and tell us how that balance is determined? Absolutely. Um, The balance was something that nobody asked about for many, many years. And what was happening was the success of downtown properties was really paying for everything else that went on in the city. So um, at a point in time, the non-residential properties in our city, the businesses, if you will, were paying for about 55% of the budget. So the responsibility for 55% of the budget was being borne by that revenue stream. Right now, only about 26% of the money that we collect from taxes comes from non-residential properties, and they are still responsible for 48% of the budget. So the imbalance is you're asking the group that pays only about 26% into the budget to carry 48% of it. That's the imbalance we're trying to correct. 
Let's uh, touch another topic here. This one's been uh, interesting and certainly has gotten people chatting, let's just say. Uh, Yesterday, we happened to be talking about the misinformation surrounding the concept of the 15-minute city with U of A's Tim Caulfield and the wild conspiracy theories around it. Uh, Now, we know Edmonton and other Canadian cities are interested in exploring the concept, the real concept of this. Is it something that Calgary City Council is interested in as well? Well, virtually any city that wants to serve its citizens well has looked at this concept. And simply broken down, it is to ensure that people who live in communities have access to all of the services they need to have a good quality of life within 15 minutes of their door. So it's making sure that you have a medical clinic. It's making sure that you have a grocery store, that your kids have a place to go to school, that you can go to work to make your life easier so that you're not stuck in wild commutes every day. But it's somehow been co-opted into this bizarre, um, you know, dystopian, we are locking you down into districts nonsense. And I don't know where it came from. Interesting. I want to, I want to get to this before before we let you go. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, not, not taking the car, but taking transit. We've heard a lot about safety on Calgary Transit. And I was uh, flipping through Twitter yesterday. And a user, I don't know this user, it's at Duke Durango. And uh, he writes, uh, another wonderful morning in at City of Calgary on at Calgary Transit, smoking meth on the train. No more excuses. No more. We are working on it. Forget all your legacy projects and clean up this mess. Heads need to roll in management. Obviously, you're not prepared for the task. And again, this was posted yesterday afternoon, and it's video of a man smoking meth on the C-train. Where are we at? Uh, because you can see that, you know, emotions are bubbling over. And uh, I've, I've not seen this, neither has Sue, uh, when we actually see people doing drugs on Calgary Transit. This is something that we've been trying to tackle for some time, um, and it's not something that we have uh, ignored. It's certainly not something that we are not taking seriously. We have added more transit officers. We have uh, just had an announcement earlier this week where 12 Alberta sheriffs have been added to the bikes and beat um, routes that the Calgary Police Service is on right now. We are doing our best to try to tackle this, but a couple of things that we have to realize Um, We have had uh, research from Dr. Katrina Katrina Mullaney from the University of Calgary who has suggested that when people are unhoused, this is what's happening. They are using in public places, including public transit. So, I mean, the solution is not a simple one. We are making sure that we've got housing taken care of, that we are dealing with addiction, that we are providing a place for people to assemble and have a sense of community. It's very complicated, and we are working with provincial and federal partners to address it, as well as social organizations in the city. We covered a lot of ground this morning, Mayor. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Have a a great, long Family Day long weekend. Yeah, happy Family Day to everyone, and have a great weekend as well. Thank you very much. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Michigan State, the latest to join, sadly, the fraternity of mass shootings. With the latest, we're joined this morning by Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. Good morning to you, Reggie. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, this latest shooting? And unfortunately, likely not much will result from it in terms of changing laws or rules or regulations, I suspect. Uh, Likely not going to. There is still no appetite in this country to move forward on any kind of gun reform. And it is worth pointing out that this shooting that took place uh, in Michigan uh, at the time was the 67th or 68th mass shooting of the year 
in the United States, uh, I believe within the last few days, that number has now moved to 71 or 72. So you're correct. There will be very little movement when it comes to trying to figure out how to end this kind of violence. But in Michigan, it, the, the as we find in all of these kinds of situations, the talk isn't about how to stop this from happening again. The immediate focus is on the families. The immediate focus is on the victims. And the immediate focus is still on the suspect trying to figure out what the motive was uh, and and what could have been done to prevent it. As we uh, continue on and switch topics, uh, Reggie, all eyes have been on the sky with uh, things flying across, well, not just uh, the U.S., but also in Canada over North American airspace. And I, I want to break it down because we know about the one balloon that was attributed and alleged uh, to be a Chinese balloon in uh, the sky. But the rest, as we've been hearing about a handful of others, they're being described even by President Joe Biden as objects or unidentified flying objects. Have we not categorized what the other objects are? What do we know to this point? The thing is, we don't know very much. We heard from President Biden for the first time under mounting public and mounting political pressure yesterday, and his exact words were, quote, we don't yet know what these three objects were. But at the same time, the White House is confident to say that they are not related to not only that initial spy balloon that was shot down over the Carolinas, but at the same time, not uh, associated or affiliated with the Chinese spy balloon program at all. There are questions, however, because the White House is saying, look, uh, you know, they're not associated with China. We don't know what they are, but we also haven't been able to recover anything. And the Mountie said yesterday that the search in Lake Huron is being suspended. So there is still a lack of clarity coming from the White House to exactly what may have been in the sky. That's why the president has put together a task force to try and better manage what is being launched or potentially floating over American and North American uh, uh, airspace. Though, Reggie, there has been very definitive uh, points made about what it is not not are there a lot of americans who believe these are ufos well i mean there are some conspiracies that uh people think that these are ufos we heard from the white house earlier this week in one of the very first comments made by the white house press secretary that this is not an incident having to do with ufos this has been a report that has come before intelligence and defense officials including a pentagon report that came out not long ago uh discussing um you know unidentified aerial phenomena in uh in in, in the sky over the United States. But at the end of the day, the White House intelligence officials are trying to push back to say, look, this is nothing extraterrestrial. And at this point, we don't even think that this is something that is from a foreign adversary. Well, let's take it to the courts now. And there was drama in the courtroom this week as the sentence for the Buffalo supermarket shooter, Peyton Gendron, was handed down. What can you tell us? Because it was explosive to see literally violence in the courtroom. What happened there? Sure. So as the judge was handing down uh, this life sentence, the, these concurrent life sentences uh, for what took place at that Topps supermarket uh, in Buffalo, uh, the 19-year-old was subjected to hearing witness impact statement or, or, or family impact statements, victim impact statements. Uh, and at one point, there was a, a member of a family from one of the victims uh, who lurched forward, who lunged at, uh, at, at the suspect. Uh, he had to be whisked out of the room. Obviously, the room had to be cleared. But there was there was anger, there was hatred, there was uh, frustration uh, that was being echoed from the people in the court to this person who was going to jail, who has been convicted uh, on uh, uh, for killing 10 people at that supermarket. And this is somebody who is also going to be subjected to additional uh, court hearings because he is facing federal hate crimes charges, uh, at least 15 charges at that. So yes, there was anger. There was a little bit of violence in that courtroom, but these were families who have lost more than the average person can understand.
Uh, let's talk about the toxic train in Ohio. A lot of uh, different responses to this, and it seems that the people in the area are very concerned about their water and their air. What's the latest on that scene? Yeah, sure. Look, the, the, the EPA, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, was on scene yesterday. They say that this is going to be a whole-of-government approach to try and understand what went wrong. We know that the administration is looking at uh, at the rail service, Norfolk Southern Ohio, to try uh, and place the blame there. Uh, but the EPA says that, well, work is being done to ensure the safety of the residents, residents who have been out of their houses for days and days and days. Now, they're being told that they can come back, but there is fear uh, and there is a disbelief from residents who think that not only is the water not safe, that the air is not safe, that there could be some form of contamination in and around their homes. There is still a, a try, a, an investigation to try and figure out exactly how all of these cars uh, went uh, went off the rails uh, and also exactly what kind of chemicals may still remain uh, in the air. This is a massive disaster that has kind of gripped this this t- small town of East Palestine, uh, Palestine uh, in Ohio. And there are legitimate questions for the people who have been impacted most, and they are looking to the federal government who is not being overly clear with how this investigation is moving forward. I'm always surprised with how things work differently politically in the U.S., Reggie, and, uh, you know, here in Canada, it's it's, it's measured in months, but not in the U.S. Eyes already on the 2024 presidential election, and a big name is throwing their hat into the ring. What do we know about Republican Nikki Haley, her presidential bid, and and would she be someone who who could take on Donald Trump, for example? It's it's very possible. Look, she she made an attempt to do this uh, in 2016. She's been kind of out of the political uh, ring for the last several years. She was the U.N. ambassador, uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under former President Donald Trump. And she came to the stage earlier this week with a message that brought back almost old school conservatism that didn't really rehash a lot of those grievances that we've heard from Donald Trump and from people who often try to mimic the style uh, of Donald Trump. Now, she did try to placate some in the Trump base by talking about things like the borders, by not going after uh, the extreme right and saying that, you know, their ideas and thoughts have no place in uh, Republican policy, but at the same time, she really tried to straddle the fence and bring in kind of more mainstream conservatives. Is it something that's going to last? It's possible. We are still many, many months away from 2024, and there are still others who are expected to jump in, namely Mike Pence, the former vice president, namely Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who could try to eat away at some of the support that Nikki Haley may get. She did say that she called President, former President Donald Trump not to ask him if she could run, but to tell him that she was running. There are people who are saying, look, the fact that you had to call the former president in the first place shows that there is still a fear of Donald Trump at the top of the party. Well, we covered a lot this morning. Thanks so much for your time, Reggie. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. The Canadian Real Estate Association says average home prices across the country were down more than 18% from the same time last year. What is it like here in Calgary? Well, we're going to get an inside look because we are joined live in studio this morning by Justin Haver of Justin Haver and Associates Remax First. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. Thank you for getting up bright and early to be in with us. Um, Let's talk about is really the the reasoning behind all of this and the changes in the industry, et cetera, and, and sale prices and buying is it all because of the interest rate hikes we had so many of them over the past what six months or so yeah it's definitely been a a change in the uh, borrowing environment for people that want to buy a home with higher interest rates and uh, that is clearly having an impact on the uh, consumer behavior across the country right Um, but here in Calgary you know our market is uh, really really strong we have uh, incredibly low inventory 
inventory that we haven't seen to this level since the 90s. And uh, we have a lot of competing offers again, mm. believe it or not, especially in the lower price points. And, uh, you know, again, that's uh, primarily due to the fact that the cost of borrowing is higher and it's pushing people into the lower price points as well, making them more competitive. And, and again, Calgary is very attractive from a price standpoint from compared to other markets across Canada. I always like talking with experts like yourself, Justin, uh, who know a lot more than we do. And we can dig down and, and, and drill into these issues in that when I speak with someone like yourself in the real estate world, there's always a, there's always a, wherever we're at in the market, someone who's going to come out the ultimate winner and someone who's, you know, maybe not going to come out. So who is in the driver's seat right now? Who Who is this market best for? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a great question. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's the people that are looking at real estate as a long-term investment. You know, the speculators. Not the flippers. Not the flippers, no. I think you've got to always look at real estate as a long-term investment and the speculators that are just looking to get in and then flip right away. I mean, those are the people that might get caught. And perhaps there are a few of those that are now starting to get caught a little bit because... You know, they weren't expecting the interest rates to increase as much as they did. And, uh, you know, again, trying to qualify for some of these mortgages might be a little more challenging than uh, a year ago. Yeah, You talk about inventory. So inventory is very low, meaning there are not that many homes on the market right now. That's got to be challenging for uh, a company that, you know, obviously that's what you do is sell and, and buy homes for people. You know, it's it's really just a challenge for the buyers, the buyers that get frustrated. I mean, go back a year ago, it was uh, pretty crazy here. It was the Wild West, essentially, with uh, a ton of competing offers at the same time. As, uh, you know, if you look at today, the competing offers are there, but they're not as wild as they were a year ago. You know, we, we got to try to obviously find the inventory for the right client mm-hmm. and uh, ensuring that uh, they get into home where it's, it's suitable for them. And, you know, I think that um, the one thing that we got to do is look at, okay, why is the inventory so low? And a lot of people are just sitting there not wanting to put their house up for sale because perhaps they can't find their next home. Some homeowners may be looking at the financing rates of what it costs to move up perhaps and may just choose to stay put for a mm-hmm. while. Now, the people that are choosing mortgage rates right now, about two-thirds of them are now more attracted to the fixed-rate mortgages, which are, you know, sitting still at a very attractive rate. If you look outside of the incredibly low rates that we had at 4.5%, and uh, people are kind of a little gun-shy on the open uh, variable rates that are out there, which is about 2% higher. Wow. Can we, can we make a comparison between the you know, single-family detached homes and the condos and townhouses? I know they, they're usually vastly different. Is, is one more easily uh, accessible now, uh, the condos and the, the townhouses versus the homes? You know, there's more product available if you look in a detached segment. If you look at the row and townhome segment, I was looking uh, just before I got in there this morning, there's a total of 212 townhouses for sale in Calgary right now. Wow. Which... You know, has also brought the average price up by about 8%. So we're now creeping up to $400,000 for a townhome. Which, you know, if so if you own a townhome and you've been thinking about selling, <laughs> now might be that time. Now is the time. Are we still seeing, I know when you and I chatted a little bit ago, um, when things were super, super hot, there were a lot of people moving from different markets, for example, from Ontario, a lot of people coming out to Calgary. Are we still seeing that? We're still seeing that, yes. 
I so mean, is that is that what contributes to the low? Um, you know, there's just not as many homes out there for the people who want to buy because people are coming from other provinces as well. Well, if you look at in comparison to 2021, for instance, let's not compare to last year because last year was crazy, crazy. <laughs> um, but if you look at uh, you know the number of sales that happened in, in uh, January of uh, 2021, we had 1,207 sales. January of this year, we had 1,199. So pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at February 2021, uh, 972 sales up until about the midpoint where we are today. And we're sitting at 1,010 sales. So, you know, it's it's pretty on par with mm-hmm. what we have for sales activity. Now, inventory, if you compare our inventory to this time in 2021, we're 36% lower. Ooh. Wow. Right? So a significant uh, drop in inventory. And, uh, you know, we're just hoping that uh, more and more people will get the spring itch here as we're getting into spring yeah. and wanting to change their home and mm-hmm. uh, we're ready. And there's many buyers that are sitting there trying to find a home. They need to get into home because we also have a lot of investors who are selling their revenue properties, yeah. right? So that's also forcing renters out into the marketplace as well. Right. What a crazy time, but it nevertheless, is. that's so we have you in to dissect these <laughs> things. But also to talk about something called giving back with gratitude. Can you tell us what this is, uh, how you're involved in, and why it's important to you, Justin? You know, this is uh, something that is uh, incredibly important for every member of Justin Havner Associates. You know, we are obviously very honored and privileged to be able to serve, you know, all of our clients here in the community. And, uh, you know, as part of us giving back with gratitude to the community, we are, you know, making several contributions from every sale that we partake in and uh, supporting things like the Children's Miracle Network, which uh, obviously supports the local children's hospital here in, uh, in Calgary. We also support the uh, Legacy Place Society, which is a nonprofit supporting first responders. We also are um, you know, contributing to the drop-in center where we volunteer and provide meals for the homeless as well. So it's you know, a big part of who we are is be able to be able to give back to the community as well and uh, help those in need. And always a huge contributor to our Radiothon here as well at QR. And, you know, obviously that offshoot, uh, the Calgary Children's Foundation. Yes. So you're, you and your team, I know, do a ton. So uh, you are, you're a modest man, but we will let people know that uh, the three partner charities that you have worked with, $225,000 worth of donations in 2022. That is huge. That's a lot of money. And also a volunteer hour your team donates a lot of their time so kudos to you i think it's important that people know that that you know you're not just uh, you know a businessman but you it's important to you to return what you get from the community yeah like i said it's uh it's an honor for us to live here in calgary and uh, serve the community and uh, and be able to give back it's uh, meaningful well we like what you do and mm-hmm. uh, appreciate your insight because it has been a a roller coaster ride in the real estate market, and uh, regardless of, of who you are, you have to live somewhere. So we appreciate you <laughs> that, true. dissecting it once again for us, Justin. Thank you so much for your time, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you for having me in. Justin Haver, realtor with Justin Haver and Associates of Remax First. Online, justinhaver, H-A-V-R-E dot com.